message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. The Dash. We are in the third week of our series called The Dash. I had a Marine sitting in my uh, chaplain office yesterday. He got sent to me actually because... Today, he was going to be processed out of the Marine Corps, and um, his first sergeant said, Chaps, I've got to send you this, this Lance Corporal because we're, we're kicking him out tomorrow from a number of things that he had uh, gotten himself into and gotten in trouble with his leadership. And he said, but, uh, but I'm worried about him, and so uh, he's going to come see you. And I talked to this young man, been in the Marine Corps for six years, married for just over a year. Got a lot going on, and uh, in the conversation, I had asked him about his spiritual walk a little bit, asked him if he was going to church, and uh, he lives in Texas, flies over once a month for his drill, goes to a church that I know very well, and um, he made the comment, he said, you know, chaps, I, I, know, I, know the big, I know the big answers, I know the theological, the right answers to the questions I have going going on in my soul and in my spirit and my mind, my heart. So I, I know the answers, but it, but it doesn't make today's pain any easier. Not always. And I chuckled a little bit because I thought of the words that I said to introduce this series a couple of weeks ago, that, that I get it that um, the pastoral answers aren't always enough, are they? You know, And I confess to you that they're not always even enough for me. And I know all the good pastor answers, you know? The, when the door closes, the window opens, and maybe if God's not doing this, well, then maybe he's doing this. And, and, and I, I could give you a good pastoral, theological even answer to probably anything that you, that, you, that you throw at me as far as struggles and troubles in your life. But the truth is, I mean, e- even for me, I'll, I'll be honest, the truth is some days, even, even the answers, when they're right even, when they're the right answers and they're true, and it's truth from the Word, Sometimes I just feel like it still hurts, right? Um, this series is an attempt, uh, uh, initially even a selfish attempt, I'll tell you, to, to look into Scripture and to look at the life of Jesus and to try and find just some Monday through Friday kind of answers. Not big, salvific, theological, $10 seminary answers, but just answers for the me and you that uh, that's at home without any makeup on, without being dressed up in our Sunday best. When you're alone and, in, and you're struggling with what's going on in your own heart and your own mind, what are you left with? Um, let me say very clearly, those big theological answers, those truths of Scripture, the major tenets of our faith, they matter. They're foundational to us. And I wholeheartedly believe that they are the things that, that hold us, that, that keep us anchored, and that get us through those storms of our spirit and soul. They've got to be there. What I'm looking for in this series, however, are not the big theological answers of Scripture. I'm looking for just the everyday Jesus. I'm looking for for passages that show what the everyday Jesus looked like. Not just the Christmas and the Easter Jesus, 
but just the, the common, everyday Jesus. I think there's some lessons in Scripture. The first one that we, that we looked at in the series was that just like we don't like to wait, when God says wait, Jesus, we found, had to wait Himself. We pointed out in Scripture that He waited 30 years before He stepped onto the scene of His ministry. 30 years working in a wood shop in a little town, obscure, not known by anyone. And then He steps onto the scene in a place that would still be pretty obscure. Jesus, we, we found, was patiently obedient. He was patiently obedient. He, he waited patiently, didn't He? There's some help in that, I think. Last week, we said that uh, we don't always know what to do, but Jesus always did the right thing, didn't He? We are faced in our life with choices. We're going to turn left, we're going to turn right. Choices of temptation that the, uh, the adversary serves up to us. Are we going to do the right thing or are we going to do the wrong thing? What we saw last week in Scripture, just even at the baptism of Jesus, when John himself says, hey, this, we don't need to do this. I'm a sinner. You're not. Baptism is for the remission of sins. This isn't for you. John says, we don't need to do it. Jesus says, yes, yeah, it's the right thing to do. Let's do it. We looked back at the last conversation that we find in Scripture of Jesus. He was 12 years old, and he's in the temple. His parents leave, come back, find him, and he says, you should have known probably that this is where I'd be, and this is the thing that I'd be up to. But then the very next verse says that he submitted to his parents, he continued to submit to his parents, and he, and he left with them. He, he went back. We just find over and over that Jesus always did the right thing. On Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Jesus just did the right thing. Even when it wasn't about some major theological tenet, right? Jesus daily just did the right things. That says something to me. Today, what stuck out to me was in the uh, first lines of Luke chapter 8. It's a verse of simplicity. That's what caught my eye. Luke chapter 8 verse 1 says, Soon afterwards he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching, the kingdom of God. The twelve were with Him. One of the things that I in my own heart have been looking for as I scan through the Gospels at the life of Jesus, the everyday life of Jesus, is just what did He do, you know? What, what, did, he, what did He occupy Himself with? The truth is, everything about Jesus was pretty simple. And by simple, I mean to say that when you look at the life of Jesus, He wasn't very complicated. And yet he had this great mission, right? So you would expect that he would have been very busy and, and life would have been very complicated. But when we read about the days of the life of Jesus between Christmas and Easter, we find that he was not a complicated dude. And even the ministry that he was to have on this earth was not a complicated ministry. It was pretty simple. So if you want a chunk, if you want a bullet for this week, you could say week one, Jesus was patiently obedient. Week two... Jesus was humbly obedient. Today you could say that he was simply obedient. Simply obedient. He didn't overcomplicate things. He simply lived obedient. I think somebody's beating their kid out there. In the name of the Lord. If we look at Jesus living, 
then guess what? Then, then I have a model, I have a sample, I have an example of what my living should look like. If we can catch Jesus in his everyday living, then we get a, then we get a glimpse into what our living should be like. And today's point is that Jesus was simply obedient in his living. We live in a very complicated world. Jesus lived the most important life ever, and yet he kept it simple. Let me say that again. He lived the most important life you could live ever, and yet he kept it simple. Let me point out a few things about the scope of Jesus' ministry this morning. The scope of Jesus' ministry, just to illustrate my point. I think you might be surprised by the simplicity, as we look at it, of the life of Jesus. His scope of ministry, the, the, if you were to wrap your arms around the ministry of Jesus Christ, you would find, as you read through the Gospels, that it was very narrow and it was very limited. A little bit surprising. He did and he said only what the Father told him. First of all, the scope of his ministry was determined sovereignly. And what that means is simply, as I just stated it, he, he did and he said only what was sovereignly commanded for him to do and say. The scope of his ministry was determined by the Father. He never designed his ministry to give people what they wanted. He never designed his ministry to fulfill an ambition that he wanted. He never designed his ministry to appeal to a collective group of people who had come to the conclusion that that's what they wanted. His ministry was always under complete sovereign control by God, His Father. So what prompted Jesus to do the things that He did? That's a, that's a foundational question, right? It's an easy question. What, what prompted Jesus to do the things that He chose to do in His short life? Jesus would say this, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. John 5.30 A little earlier in John 4, He said it this way. My food, or the thing that nourishes me, the thing that keeps me alive and keeps me going, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. I think this is why we find Jesus, if you think about it in, in the Gospel, so often removing Himself from the activities of his daily life, retreating to the mountaintop, retreating away from the crowd, away from the mass, getting alone with, with the Father. He lived by the will of the Father. And over and over in Scripture, we find that he, he pulls himself out of the crowd to go, to go spend time with the Father. Why? So that he could do the will of the Father, so that he knew the will of the Father to do the will of the Father. Remember, he says, I, I don't do anything by my own initiative. So number one, everything that he did, everything he said, was by, was by the sovereign design of the Father. Um, the second thing I noticed, not only did he do what the Father wanted, but he did it in the Father's timing. In his Monday through Friday living, Jesus made sure that he was, he was tapped in, tuned in to the will of the Father, and not only did he carry out only the will of the Father, but He carried out only the will of the Father, only in the Father's timing. 
Is that ever a challenge for us? We, we, get a, we get a glimpse of what the will of the Father is, and we say, great, and we just go at it. We never ask the follow-up question of, okay, so here's your will. Go now. Do it now. <laughs> In the life of Jesus, you, you, hear, you hear him say things like, now's not the right time. Right? He has to rebuke the disciples, and he has to say even to the lost, uh, not now, not yet. The time has, my time has not yet come. Jesus was in tune not only what the will of the Father was, but what the timing of the will of the Father was. He kept it pretty simple. Third thing. He did the Father's will in the Father's timing and only to those the Father prompted him to go to. How about that? So here's your will. Here's when you want me to accomplish your will. And I'll just go out and shotgun the world. Jesus didn't even do that. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing him, quote, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 10. Those were Jesus' instructions to his disciples. It was a focus. It was a specific target group that was the will of the Father at the time that the Father was speaking to the Son about His will. And Jesus simply did the will of the Father in the timing of the Father toward the target of the Father. Not only that. Not just to the Jews, but we remember when He says in Luke 5, I have not come to call the righteous, but who? To repentance. Sinners. Among the Jews, not the self-righteous, not the Pharisees, not the scribes, not the Sadducees for the most part, but the sinners, those who recognized their sin. That was the target. So he had a very narrow restraint, a very narrow limitation placed upon his ministry by the Father. You go where I tell you to go. When I tell you to go, you speak to the people I tell you to speak to. And it was Jesus who had these limitations. The life of Jesus, the everyday life of Jesus, wasn't very complicated because he followed the will of the Father and the timing of the Father to the people that the Father chose very specifically. And we never find Jesus overcomplicating the matter. He just did what the Father said do. Think about the geography of the thing for a moment. Born in obscurity in a little village, lived his 30-year life in a little village, and then meandered around the little nation of Israel for the rest of his brief three-year teaching and preaching probably never went more than about 60 miles away from his home. Maybe a couple treks here or there further, but the mass of his life on that island. And it wasn't a very populated island. It wasn't a very important island. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a hub of really anything. What good could come from Galilee, they would say. But that's where he was. So the geography of the thing very, wasn't very complicated. And if you think about the three years, why only three years? Even his time in ministry was limited by the Father. Are you, are you thinking a little bit about how the plan of the Father probably wouldn't have been your plan? <laughs> it's probably not how you would have mapped it out. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of find this refreshing. The scope of Jesus' life was divinely inspired. We would want to go as far and as wide as we could, though, wouldn't we? And as often as we could, 
and speak to as many different people groups as we could. And yet Jesus had his had this amazing kind of concentration or focus or simplicity in his obedience. He was simply, simply obedient. He didn't complicate it. By the way, in the process, Jesus alienated most of the nation until they finally executed him. You should know as well that there was a limitation placed on Jesus' ministry theologically. Think about that. The Father limited the ministry of Jesus theologically. What do I mean? If you look back at John 8, 1, soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching, what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. The ministry of Jesus, theologically, was not very complicated. It was pretty simple. If you were to find Jesus at this point in time in his life, on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Friday night, what you would find is Jesus teaching and proclaiming one thing, the kingdom of God. The gospel that led men, the gospel truth that led men and women to the kingdom of God. That was his central, primary, maybe it'd be sufficient to say it was his only focus, was the kingdom of God. How simple is that? You should know as well that there was not just a limitation placed on his theology, in his message, um, his strategy was pretty limited, if you, if you consider it. The strategy of the most important person who ever lived in all of this world with the most important mission in all of history, the strategy that this guy had was also very simple. Nothing complicated. He had a strategy. Maybe, maybe he didn't even know that he had a strategy because he just lived such a natural way never appeared that Jesus was, was in some sort of game plan, does it? That he was ever manipulating anything. When you read about the day-to-day life of Jesus, he didn't, didn't seem like he was scheming, does it? It was very natural. It's very natural to watch the life of Jesus. But there was strategy. He wasn't winging it. End of verse 1. Who do we find? That Jesus was proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him. We find in the next verse that there's more people. There's some women that have been converted. There's some supporters in verse 3. There's, there's more people. But if you want to know what the, what the amazing strategy of the most important person who ever lived was, it's very simply that the twelve were with him. He found twelve men and he said, with you, I'll, I'll impact the world. And from this very limited, geographical, short ministry, he would do just that. Listen to what has been said about those who Jesus chose. Jesus would invest himself in 12 men, 12 ordinary men. Not a scribe, not a Pharisee, not a Sadducee, not a chief priest, not a ruler of a synagogue, not a rabbi, not anybody, anybody influential. Not a one. In fact, the very opposite. They were ordinary, very ordinary men. They were not the movers and the shakers. They were not the influencers. They were not the powerful. They were not privy to the great movements of their time. They were not friends with people in high places even. They were the humble and the meek. He didn't seek people who could somehow elevate him, who could get him in 
and where he thought he ought to be. He didn't pick the rich, the famous, the well-heeled people, well-established people in points of interest, nothing like that. In fact, he picked very ordinary men, so ordinary that we can't find any reason why he would pick them at all. And that's probably the very point. In the end, there could be nothing said of those 12 men that would glorify them. They were the epitome of simple and ordinary. Well, that's, that's the very plan of the Father, isn't it? That who would get the glory? The Son. Now, you can't have the high and mighty coming in with all their strategies and all their plans and the well-connected and the influential and the powerful and the rich because then who gets the glory? They do. Jesus didn't have any schemes or strategies like that about his ministry, did he? I personally, as a pastor, find that very refreshing, encouraging and challenging even. There was no great scheme of the most important minister that ever landed on the face of the earth. There was no, there was no great scheme to find the connectors, the movers, the shakers, connect himself so that he could then be elevated and then he could, he could be impactful. No. Jesus kept it pretty simple. He found these 12 ordinary men and he poured into them. And he told them to go and pour into others. Paul would later tell Timothy, the things you've learned from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will, able, who will be able to teach others also. Now if you break that verse down, you find four generations. Paul to Timothy to faithful men who will also tell others. Pretty simple ministry. Basics of discipleship. What should life look like in our day to day? Jesus went proclaiming and preaching a single message, the kingdom of God, a single focus, and he had 12 guys with him. His strategy was nothing very complicated. What would your strategy have been? More or less than that. Probably, probably something different. Listen to what John MacArthur said in one of his commentaries on this single verse. If you were God and you were going to send Jesus down to earth and you had a plan to redeem the world, you had a plan to spread the gospel to the corners of the earth, it's unlikely that using the best human wisdom, pulling together the best brains, having the biggest strategy session you could, that the consensus would be that you go to this tiny, minuscule, infinitesimal little dot on the globe called Israel to one little group of people living in apostasy, by the way, that you go to that country, live your life in obscurity for 30 years, and then for three years have a ministry there in a sort of, you know, 60-mile circle, never go outside that country except maybe to foray across the border and back again on a couple short occasions that you do absolutely nothing to win over the elite of the nation, the influential people, the people who are the movers and the shakers, the world changers, but rather you spend your time with the poor, the outcast and the downcast and the downtrodden and the rejected, even the social scum, that you disdain all of the normal channels so that you don't surround yourself with the highest kind of educational credentials, nor do you surround yourself with the kind of people who can get you where you want to go to reach the high places, but rather you disdain all of that in favor of a humble man or a humble woman. It's, it just doesn't seem like the way to get the job done, does it? 
But we all know that Jesus was the most influential human being who's ever lived. Jesus, if you, if you find him in his everyday living, was not, he was not just patiently obedient. He was not just humbly obedient. He was simply obedient. He was simply obedient. One of my favorite books, Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. On his chapter entitled The Discipline of Simplicity, he starts with this quote. When we are truly in this interior simplicity, our whole appearance is franker, more natural. Our whole appearance, franker, more natural. This true simplicity makes us conscious of a certain openness, gentleness, innocence, gaiety, and serenity, which is charming when we see it near to and continually with pure eyes. Oh, how amiable this simplicity is. Who will give it to me? I will leave all for this. It is the pearl of the gospel. It's the pearl of the gospel. Ecclesiastes, the writer, says in chapter 7, verse 29, God made man simple. It's the complex problems of man that are of our own devising. We make it complicated. If there's any encouragement in our lesson today, for me, it's that the life of Jesus, the most important man who ever lived, he lived simply obedient. Pray with me. Lord, help us. Help us to uncomplicate ourselves. Our example wasn't nearly as ambitious as we are. Father, we have dreams of uh, the breadth of our life and not necessarily the depth. Return us, Father, to um, the simple things, the joy of our salvation. Return us to, Father, embracing the fact that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And Lord, that's not to say that you might not call some of us, some of these in this room, to do amazing and great things, far and wide things. But Lord, this day from the lesson of the life of our Redeemer, our Savior, we find that simplicity ought to be embraced in our life. Lord, if, if, if our living out of our own life feels really complicated and heavy and burdensome, Lord, help us to, to find the fix. Lord, help us to get rid of some things if we need to get rid of them. Help us to find you as our center, your cross, your blood, your kingdom. Lord, give us uh,
clarity and simplicity in your kingdom, in your cross. Lord, we return to Jesus. If we've got chains that are weighing us down, Father, we, we shake them off. We cast them off. We get rid of them. Lord, we claim this morning as a reminder to ourselves and to our own soul, even if we, even if we have heavy souls this morning, we claim that we are redeemed. We are redeemed. Give us an ease about ourselves. Make our, make our walking out this Christianity a franker thing, a simpler thing, a more natural thing. Give us the ease that we have in, in Jesus, our cornerstone, our anchor. In His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.